Hello and welcome to Rocket, everyone. I am head of development at Giant Space Cap, Brianna Wu. Uh, you may notice that I am not Simone de Rochefort, who uh, is skipping out this week in a very unprofessional way so to do her job to at do her Pac job. South. Yeah, like, come on. You know, I thought, Christine, I thought we were hiring a professional. You know, I thought so too, but then I thought mm. about it and I realized the only person who's never taken a week off right. was Simone. You yeah. and I both have, have had fill-ins. We've both been <laughs> absent. Because, yeah. So really, for more than a year of our podcast, you know what? She can have it. She can have it. She can have it. Um, but it does mean our listeners are going to have to listen to my unprofessional uh, way of doing someone's job for her. Um, anyway, I joined this week, as always, by Christina Warren, queen of the universe. And you have some job at Mashable. Senior I don't know what it is. Senior tech correspondent. Senior tech correspondent. I think of you as just the most awesome woman in tech. Like, that is your job title in my mind when I'm doing this with you. Uh, we are also joined this week by... Micah Sargent, who is, uh, I guess, would, do you consider like isometric to be your most prestigious title now, or would it be, you know, your editor? I gotta at say, Newsy. senior yeah. editor at Newsy yeah. is probably, you know, I, it, only because it has the word senior in it. But when it yeah. comes to like the thing that gets to my feels the most, it's yeah. definitely being a host on isometric. What if we gave you the title senior uh, host on isometric? <laughs> would, would that, because I am that... probably the oldest, like, spiritually the oldest person in the room yeah if you all called me senior host i would accept that title <laughs> and i would talk like this most of the time oh. Oh uh no yeah. look i gotta say brie seriously yeah. uh not too long ago someone had asked me um who some of my role models have been looking you know looking upwards in in the tech field and christina i'm not trying to make you turn red right now but honestly you have been a a, a tech role model of mine Aww. and like it, first of all, the fact that I get to do a podcast with you every other week is just blows my mind. But I just have to say, like, yes, you are queen of the tech universe. And it is just so awesome that I get to hang out with you. Uh, so wow, wow, wow. And then on the other hand, look, I'm hanging out with Brie Wu over at Isometric doing some nonsense every week. Uh, it's just it blows my mind. And I'm really, really sad that I'm not hanging out with Simone de Rochefort this week because she and I are like... We are the, I don't know, if there was ever um, a team of, of millennials who were fighting for, like, <laughs> the good side of millennialism, it would be her and I. You're and, the, that's you know, true. You're, you're the millennial wonder twins, is what you're We to are say. the millennial wonder twins. <laughs> uh, wonder twin powers activate. So, you know, she, I, she's here in my heart and Moise, hopefully in all of yours. Moises is my wonder twin. And the thing is, is that Moises <laughs> and I do not fight for the good parts of millennialism. Like, we don't. We actually actively fight against it. So I'm glad right. that you guys are on this oh, side. So you're our nemesis. We are. Okay, we are. got it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that that would, if you know, Christine, if you were the mirror mirror version of of Simone, that would explain a great many things. It really like, would. <laughs> yeah, it really would. So does that make Moises the the mirror version of me? This yes. is interesting. No, I'm liking yeah. this. Yeah. Next time I see him, just look for the the upward the the reverse S logo on his chest. Yeah, <laughs> Um, so, gosh, I guess we'll get straight into it. Um, so I just want to preface this by saying I'm not as good as Simone is at this job. But, um, you know, so this week, uh, our first story is Apple 
is always held to double, triple, and quadruple standards by the press. <laughs> yes. And they announced, uh, I think it was yesterday, yes. that uh, they expected iPhone sales to slow for the very first time uh, since they had unveiled it. Um, there have been whispers of this for a long time. If you'll remember when they came out with the uh, 6 and the 6 Plus, um, you know, the Wall Street Journal at that time said they didn't know what Apple would be able to release in the future that would um, really cause sales to skyrocket that much because it was kind of addressing this pent-up demand mm -hmm. uh, for larger phones, uh, even though, you know, because the Android market had very clearly proven there was big, um, you know, live demand for that. So, you know, uh, I'm on vacation this week and I've been watching, you know, the tech sphere do what the tech sphere does with Apple, which is just treat them completely unfairly. And, you know, like I saw this, this tweet from MC Siegler that I loved he was like, he was saying like he expected people to yell at Apple for not finding a second planet to sell iPhones on because they had saturated the entire market on Earth. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> so, Christina, I'm going to throw it over to you. What did you think of this news? Like, what what do you think of the situation? Well, it's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, they're obviously being honest with the future of, of, of what things are going to be, uh, you know, how they see things going. They're, they're predicting slowing, maybe softening sales, but certainly not like the, the sales are going to collapse. Um, I think it's right. important to recognize from a macro level, this is not unique to Apple. Phone sales as a whole are actually slowing. And if you look at China, which is where that's been Apple's biggest growth market for the last few years, China's economy is slowing down. Um, Chinese phone makers are not actually hitting their targets. Xiaomi, who a year ago, all of us were kind of predicting was like they were going to be the next, you know, great, like the big Chinese, like, like smartphone hope, you know, they're going to make it a killing in America, they're going to dominate everyone, they're bigger than Samsung, they're going to be doing all these things. They didn't meet their sales production uh, projections for the year, they were wanted to sell 80 million smartphones for 2014, or excuse me, for 2015, I think they sold 75 million. Uh, to put that in perspective, Apple sold that many last quarter. So Apple still uh -huh. sold more phones last quarter than Xiaomi sold all of last year. So A, it's important to get things in perspective. B, I think that it's just kind of, you know, like the Wall Street Journal was saying, and like you were saying earlier, the iPhone 6 and, and 6 Plus were kind of these catalyst devices for a couple of reasons. First of all, it, it finally answered what a lot of people had wanted, which was a bigger phone, and, and you got two of them. Um, and then second of all, it was the first time that they were on China Mobile, so they were like at launch. So they were able to really come out at the Chinese market in a way they hadn't been able to do it before. And so when you take those th two things together... I don't know how much more you can do, kind of like 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 the like Siegler was saying, like, do we find another planet where people can get phones? It's like, you know, now now what you've got to do is you've got to kind of get back on the release cycle bandwagon, and it's very possible that you know, even as good as the success and success plus are, they're just not going to drive that demand the same way. And and Tim Cook was saying in his uh, on the earnings call yesterday, you know, that the demand just to kind of put it in perspective, how great it was for the six and six plus, they didn't actually have the supply chain in place to even like meet everybody's demand. So a lot of the, the, the Q2 sales were still kind of pent up demand from, from, from Q1 that they weren't able to, to, uh, to, to pull in, um, or excuse me, Q1 sales were, were, were pulling in, um, from, from Q4. So, 
yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that it's all doom and gloom. I think that it's a, a lot of things are happening. But yeah, obviously, you know, sales are softening. But this doesn't mean that the iPhone is doomed. Now, I think the <laughs> question would be yeah. the iPad. And I want to hear you guys' thoughts too. But I would say the, sure. the, the big question, the, the one red flag that I saw, I wasn't that concerned about the iPhone. I'm like, okay, look, this is, they're preparing the market for this. That's fair. But then I looked at what happened with iPad and I'm going, okay, now that's actually kind of scary. Yeah, sure. I mean, honestly, so this is the thing that, that frustrates me every time is that, look, eventually, yes, we're going to get to a point where you just don't have the people to buy enough iPhones. And, you know, the the, the growth over uh, the quarter before has only been like less than 1%, which right. I understand freaks out Wall Street. But I don't know. I, I think whenever we talk about like the the tech and business people, we should, you know, it's really like the the techie businessy journalists who are more uh, freaking out about this than just the the like strictly tech and especially the strictly Apple because they have a realization that's like. I don't know, whenever you can look past the numbers and go, honestly, there's no way that the company can continue to like outsell everyone else and sell so many devices. And like, I right. see what you're saying, Christina, about about the iPad, because we're seeing this continue to drop. You know what I mean? Like, the, you, you reach saturation with iPhone, but right. you know, what, what a, Apple is trying new things all the time with iPad, and it's still it, going It's not down, working. So. Well, I mean, iPad, just to put it in perspective, you know, sales dropped um, 25% year over year. Um, that's massive. Um, they, they sold 20 million, um, last year for, for Q4 this year, they sold 16. Um, that's, you know, it, it's a big miss. And that was with the iPad pro and, and some people, you know, I've seen, you know, kind of people like try to couch and say, oh, well, you know, the iPad pro had supply issues and it didn't, you know, wasn't available the full quarter and don't make excuses for the iPad. The iPad pro, <laughs> sure. look, look, here's the reality. iPad pro is not saving the iPad. Um, no. The iPad is continuing to get smaller and smaller, and this is, you know, they, they continue to, to sell fewer and fewer each quarter, and I think that's probably for a lot of reasons. I think the biggest reason is probably that they kind of, the, the bigger iPhones have kind of cannibalized the, the, the tablet market to a certain degree, and, and the tablet market just hasn't, you know, become that, that third tier that Apple maybe thought that it was, but yeah, I mean... I. You're right. You know, analysts they they want to continue to see Apple as a growth stock, and and especially after the big split when it you know it's it, it had a it, when it split. You know, part of the reason it did that is is more people could get into it, and and people look at what the growth opportunities are. There are still plenty of growth opportunities. You know, even if China as a country is slowing down, there's still a ton of unpenetrated Apple market there. Um, there's India, which which he mentioned on the call more than once, which I thought was interesting. And then I think the the big thing that, that he pointed out on the call too, which I thought was interesting, was that when they basically 60% of their active user base is not using an iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, or 6S Plus. They're using a 5S kind mm -hmm. of or, or earlier. So that's actually, if you think about it, you know, they have a billion active de active devices. That's a big market too to, can, you know, to, to get that kind of next upgrade cycle. And that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to make sure the iPhone 7 has the compelling features for everybody to jump in and upgrade the same way people did with the iPhone 6 and 6 Plus. Um, I don't think, it's not unusual to see kind of a lesser demand for, 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 a, for a talk product, you know, the 6S, 6S Plus. This is just, right. as you noted, Brie, like this is the first time that they're saying, 
that iPhone sales are going to decelerate, which hasn't happened since 2007. Right. But this, I have a certain... this is why I fundamentally don't understand about Christina. And, you know, a lot of people like out there think of me as probably, you know, a tech feminist or a game developer first. A lot of you know, my formal education is in finance and, you know, stocks and all this kind of stuff. So what I am constantly very, very confused by is Apple's stock valuation. Yeah. Um, because you can look at a company, like take the most extreme example, like Amazon. You know, they're, they're, um, you know, the amount of revenue they have every quarter, the return on investment, all of these things are much, much, much closer to the margin. Like Their expenditures are very close to their revenue, right? And so you look at a company like Apple, whose sales are so strong, yep. who, you know, they don't have some, you know, magical idea about how to turn on the money valve in the future and start getting revenue. They are currently making as much money as, um, you know, Exxon is. Yeah. Like actual money coming in every single quarter. And I am constantly confused by their stock valuation as someone that really understands Apple. Because... The only reason to like have this investor call and put this warning out on it is like one of the first things they tell you in this is like, look, if you announce that your your sales are going to be A, B, and C, and then you come in over that, that is a win for your stock. So it's to your advantage to constantly downplay what you're going to be so you can beat it. Right. Um, that's but that's the only relevant thing here. Like Apple is still making tons of money and this is just an inevitable point that they're going to hit so why are they chris and this is my question for you christina why are they held to such a, a ridiculous standard because my my theory with it is because we look to apple for whatever reason as just because of their historic track record as a really forward-thinking company that's going to develop like these these products that define entire categories. When the iPhone is like a once in a like that's gonna be one of the you can't replicate that. Like that's a once in a generation kind of product. Right. You know? Well I think that is a couple of things. One, I think because they've been so successful, they are held to a right. little bit of a different standard. And and yeah. part of it I think is of their own doing. You know, they all they have a mystique about themselves that they set themselves apart from everyone else. They are a different type of company. I think the other thing has been that they have grown and they've managed to pull rabbits out of their hats, even when things have you know, when, when Android, especially in the U.S., was really seeming like a threat for a couple of years when it really looked like Samsung was going to maybe come in and, and, and kind of, you know, steal their thunder, um, they were able to, to push back. Uh, I think the bigger thing is, is you know, I, I think a lot of analysts don't understand Apple and, and they just want to look at the numbers, the hardline numbers, and how can you deliver. And the problem is that sometimes you are the victim of your own success. You're so successful. How can you continue to grow at that rate? You can't. And so it, I think it's about adjusting expectations. And so I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think some analysts need to understand that Apple is no longer maybe in, in a growth phase. That doesn't mean that they're failing. That doesn't mean that it's the end of the world. But it does mean that the growth period that they were experiencing for the last few years is not going to be there. And it, it may, might not be until they have another product category. It doesn't help when you do go into new product categories and then they don't live up to those expectations the ipad yeah. actually being one of them the watch being one um you know so there's there's i think a lot of people just kind of are waiting for the other shoe to drop partially because we've seen that happen with other companies you know looking at samsung samsung was flying so high 
was selling so many phones and now they're not doing that well. You know what I mean? The, the company is, is fine, but they're not doing that well. HTC is on the verge of bankruptcy. You know, a, a lot of phone makers, you know, I mentioned Xiaomi earlier. You know, Xiaomi went from kind of being like this, like the, the kind of the face of, of, of Chinese, you know, phone makers to um, other companies. Huawei is, is now kicking their, their, their butts in China. And so it's, I think, just people get freaked out when they don't know what can happen. I think part of it too is that Apple historically, to their detriment, I think at this point, they have so much um, under promise and then over delivered on their earnings. And it used to be a good thing. I think at this point that analysts don't look at what Apple's expectations are, they make their own. And so, you know, the street has expectations that are out of line of what Apple's were. Like I was a little bit miffed yesterday, I was on Fox Business, and I couldn't get this word in edgewise, and and it wouldn't have been worth trying to make this distinction on the air. But you know, people were saying, oh, well, they missed, you know, um, their, their, their revenue goal. They actually didn't. They actually were, were on the, probably on the lower side, but they hit what Apple's own targets for revenue were that they'd predicted mm-hmm. for the quarter. So they actually made their own expectations. They missed the analyst expectations. And part of right. that, the reason that analyst expectations are now different than Apple's is because Apple sandbagged them for a long time. And so when you let that narrative get away from you because you do kind of under promise and then way over deliver, you know, it makes it hard when you now are making, you know, uh, you know, future, you know, forward looking statements for people to kind of take what you're saying seriously. Yeah, I get it. I get it from both sides. Because, you know, there's a part of me that gets frustrated every time I hear about how Wall Street isn't happy. But I see what you're saying there. I mean, honestly, what can Wall Street do as except expect some huge thing. And and whenever you think about the fact that iPhone accounts for two thirds of Apple's revenue, then yeah. of course, you're going to be freaking out and hoping that Apple is going to make that happen. But at the same time, like, whenever you consider Apple's side of things, and I think it's also an important distinction, you know, we talk about new product categories. The thing that I've, I think might scare analysts a little bit is you have to consider that Apple Watch is in and of itself, it is its own product category, but at the same time, unlike iPad or Mac or something like that, it's so tied to the iPhone. Yes. So without iPhone sales, you don't really have a valuable device. And so if if I if iPhone sales are slowing, then Apple Watch sales logically would slow as well because those devices kind of work together. And so yes, the people who have iPhones can buy them and, and add them to you know the, the device that they already have, but it, those two work in concert. And so they haven't really released a new, new product other than the iPad Pro, and we've seen where that's going. So it's, I get it from both sides. I, I understand where Wall Street's uh, and the analysts are going, well, we expected this, but at the same time, again, Brie, kind of what you're going, what, you, what you're complaining about, I agree 100% because, you know, there are other companies who aren't doing anywhere near this. The value that's coming out of this company is just so above it. You know what I mean? I, I saw one tweet that I thought was hilarious and it was like, yeah, they didn't meet my expectations of uh, Bagillion G Bill, you know what I mean? Just writing some number that wasn't at all realistic, but that is practically what Apple's making. They're just printing money. Money, practically yeah John Gruber yeah. made a point today about the fact that because of and, and this is this is affecting a lot of companies not just Apple but the, the fact that the US dollar is so strong and that currencies internationally are so weak has actually hurt them pretty badly um, and so they lost more money due, due to you know uh, what they call financial tailwinds um, 
in you know basically because of fluctuation in, in international currency that they have a lot of investments in they lost more money to that than facebook made in revenue for the entire year last quarter yeah. so yeah. that just puts it all in perspective that they're a massive massive company and i think that's probably why people you know that's why people pay more attention to them that's why they are scrutinized so much because they are so big um i i get why people say it's not fair to pick on them but at the same time they're getting picked on because they are the biggest and, and, and they are in their own kind of world. It is what it is. It's like there's everybody yeah, else and there's a, Apple. They're different. They're a different company. And I guess, Christina, this would be my question to you. If, because I can, I can look at the iPad sales and, you know, I, I don't know what the exact breakdown is because all we have is, you know, guesses of how much money Apple makes on, say, you know, an iPad versus, um, you know, an iPhone 6 Plus. But, you know, to me, the iPad sales don't really speak to Apple as a whole. Like, I don't really fundamentally think of my iPad mini as separate from my, my iPhone, right? Like, they both got cellular built in. It's just whatever screen size I happen to be wanting at that second. And because my 6 Plus is something I so dearly love, that's the only reason I haven't bought a, an I, a, a new iPad lately, other than the iPad Pro. I can excuse that. That said, you know, I think if we look at the overall pattern of Apple, and before I say this, let's just take a minute and look at the the historic obsession with saying Apple is doomed. This happened right. in the 90s, happened in the 2000s, yep. happened last year, year before it, it will always happen. But I do think it's worth looking at, you know, the product releases they've had in the last year. So let's look at the, the Apple Watch. Um, you know, Walt Mossberg wrote a piece for Verge last week that I thought was dead on, talking about how it needs to do a lot more. It does just enough to justify the purchase for it, but doesn't really excel at any one thing. I think that's fair. The iPad Pro, Christina, you and I have talked a lot about the ecosystem problems mm -hmm. with that. I'm not seeing first-tier software come to my iPad Pro. I'm happy with the purchase. It's useful. Um, but it doesn't surprise me if that's not, um, you know, something that's like tearing up. And I think you can look at the new Apple TV. I am going to go out on a limb here on Rocket Day. I'm going to say I think the new Apple TV is a failure. Um, really? You know, for me, for me in my house and for the my friends that are developers on it, releasing software, they're not making money. Um, I find the interface annoying. Um, I can't tell you how many times the dogs have jumped on the couch and like, um, you know, like sent something wildly off course. And to me, I, I, I kind of look to my husband as like an example of what the average person thinks. Cause you know, we're so hyper obsessed with the detail. I think we lose perspective of that and he just hates it. He's asked me to go plug the old one back in. So I guess my question, Christina, is like, if you look at the overall picture of Apple, where you do have some of their products that are innovative, like I would count the 12-inch MacBook in that category, and then you have some of their products which are kind of um, not really making an impact in their categories, like say the Apple Watch. Like, Do you think there's a, a larger trend with Apple to be concerned with, or do you think it's just the way it generally is with the company? Um, I don't know if there's a larger trend to be concerned with. I mean, you know, I think that... I. I think that the Apple Watch, I'm not ready to call that a, a total failure. I think that their internal expectations are probably in line with how it's doing. I think that it's been external expectations that were too great for it. And and that was honestly a problem with, with the iPad early on, too. Um, mm -hmm. 
I, I disagree with you on the Apple TV. I, 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 don't, I can't really speak to the developer story yet, and I don't think they've really quite figured that story out yet. But I think as a device, I think as a platform, it has a lot of potential. Um, and, and I think that, you know, whatever they wind up doing with media, whether they come up with their own TV service or, or something else, I think that having that box there is going to be important to them. But yeah, I do think it's worth talking about and saying kind of what, what beyond the iPhone. Because as Micah was saying earlier, you know, two-thirds of their income, you know, 66% of their revenue. I mean, it's all coming from the iPhone. And so that's, you don't ever want to, as a company, you you know, I'm sure that as, as thrilled that they are with how well the iPhone does and the fact that margins are going up. And that was another thing that like people seem to just totally miss on. ASP was up for the phones and, and they beat on that and, and margins, gross margins are up too. But, you know, what do you do beyond that? Or what do you do if maybe that doesn't quite go the next level and so for them I would be let's just put it this way I think that you know the fact that they're looking at automotive is probably a good thing for for the future of the company and and I hope you know with with some of the the hirings that they made last week and and some of the other rumors we've heard you know looking into VR they need to be looking at the next big platform play because they were really really they they were impeccable on the timing on mobile they were absolutely impeccable on it and it's going to be crucial for them going forward I'm I'm not saying the company's doomed the company has 210 billion dollars in cash on reserves okay (laughs) they are they are not doomed all right they they have more cash on hand than than many countries they are fine Um, but for them to continue to innovate and kind of be kind of the 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 you know um the the status company du jour or whatever they're going to have to be innovating on the next big thing and and that's what i think we'll we'll, we'll kind of see what, what's happening there and i don't know if their current product line is representative of that i don't know yeah. if their current product line what i see aside from kind of the macbook is really showing me they've got their finger on the pulse of what's happening you know 10 years from now five years from now yeah, frankly, most of the things that I've seen come out of the company don't seem to be where do you see yourself in five years or ten years. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like you know what I mean. It's it's addressing problems now as opposed to where for the longest time we saw them addressing problems of the future. Uh, so I'm hoping. I'm hoping that you know, as you said, this this virtual reality. Looking into this, frankly, though, that's going to be coming this year from lots of other companies. So uh, unless we see something from them this year then they're also a little bit behind on that as well uh but the car thing uh i've got some hope there at least no i think um honestly uh it just it it's frustrating and you know brie i i have kind of a a mixed opinion I, i agree with both of you in a little bit about the apple tv because there are times speaking of dogs the other day my dog somehow sent diagnostic logs to apple from the apple tv i didn't even know that was possible but she stepped on the remote in the perfect uh number of like patterns that you needed to send diagnostic logs i looked up and it was like now sending diagnostic logs to apple this notification that popped up in the corner of the screen and i had to go out and buy the doggone leather wrist strap so that I could figure <laughs> oh, out which way was up and down on the Apple remote because no to- the, the stupid <sighs> wrist strap is $17 or whatever it costs it's ridiculous and then the problem with that is if you want to charge it you've yep. got to remove it you gotta unplug so you, that so you got to unplug it so you can then charge it in it's stupid Someone recommended that I use an asparagus rubber band, and I said, "No, I'm 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 that ridiculous human who can't stand to have things look wonky, and so I need the that." But I don't know. It's just 
I get it. I get both sides of things. I think that, you know, Apple is doomed is not any, we're nowhere near that. And again, like you have to look at the fact that they have so much cash on hand. We're nowhere near Apple is doomed. And we've spent, uh, you know, however long talking about this company. So clearly they're still in our mind's eye. I just hope that, uh, that, uh, I don't know. There's no way that the iPhone is going to continue to be the thing that drives their drives them forward in terms of uh, success with Wall Street. So hopefully there's going to be a product that does that because it really doesn't seem to be the iPad. And another thing that worries me is how like enamored and in love and heart eyed and rose tinted shades Tim Cook is with the iPad. He freaking loves the iPad. He's got a heart on for the <laughs> iPad, and I'm hoping a heart on a heart on. Tim Cook has a heart on for the ipad i love that <laughs> that's got to be our title got to be our title uh, so i don't know like mm-hmm. if you're going to continue putting all of your thoughts and hopes and wishes and dreams into this device and we're seeing time and time and time again that it's just going down 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 i don't know it seems like a bad idea to me <laughs> but, um, I, mean, I don't know i mean i, yeah, I, I don't think I don't. it's wrong of them to kind of get rid of like the ipad i mean i'm not certainly not suggesting that but i feel right. like they need to ad- adjust expectations more than what they're doing because exactly. i think and, and i think that that you know for a long time we kind of had the argument we don't know what the upgrade cycle is we still don't know what it is and that's still a problem it's still a really big problem that we don't <laughs> you know know what the upgrade cycle, cycle is and, and i think it's also kind of a problem where we literally um you know like have um just you know the as successful as the ipad uh was early on you know just i think that I don't know if it was a fluke. I don't know if it was one of those kind of one-off things or, or, or if this is a, if it maybe will eventually become the future of computing, but it does kind of feel like one of those in-between devices that, you know, there's, there's some great points for it, but it's not one of those things that everybody needs. I mean, I guess I would say this, and yeah, this is probably a good point to close it out, but if you think about where Apple was five years ago today. Yeah. I mean, like, really think about that. 2011, the first iPad had just come out. Mm-hmm. Wearables weren't really a thing. Android wasn't really established yet. Uh, no, you it was know, getting there. It was getting it, there. It was getting there, but it wasn't... Do you know what I mean? You didn't no, have, like, you, super flagship phones, like, you know, the Nexus. I mean, it was... You did, you did. You, and, you, and you had the Galaxy S3, but it wasn't... I, I would say two, I would say five years ago was probably the rise of Android. Sure. My my overall point is think about where Apple was five years ago. You know, the iPod was still a product category that people yep. were paying attention to. You know, VR was not a thing. Apple, like any other tech company, constantly has to make new products, address the market as it's changing. And you know, to a certain extent, I think these the the kind of fears I've seen this week. It just, it doesn't feel rational to me. Do you know what I mean? This is just part of what any tech company has to deal with. Apple has a tremendous amount of good faith with consumers. They are putting out quality products. For the most part, when you go and buy an Apple device, you you feel confident in it. So, like, my my long-term worries about Apple really have nothing to do with the products that they're putting out. It has a lot more to do about these unfair expectations I feel I see them held to, um, you know, with the, with the stock market and with investors. So, yeah, I think that's probably a good place to leave this. Um, right now, I'm going to tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Smile and PDF Pen. We we love Smile here at Rocket. They Woo. they have been so awesome. They have for been us. so. 
Yeah, they actually gave us uh, free copies of this. So, you know, PDF Pen is basically a program and, you know, it's a Swiss army knife for working with PDFs. Like here at my company, um, I frequently have to sign contracts or, you know, look through legal things. Um, my husband was working on some patent thing a few weeks ago and like we had to like get some PDFs working uh, from a law firm with like firm, like the, the forms embedded in it and preview and OS 10 wasn't working with it. And PDF pen is basically the answer for that. Like it's a, it's a product that can do absolutely any, everything with PDFs. So, you know, with PDF pen, uh, it has all of your basics covered, like filing, signing forms, making edits, highlighting, OCR recognition. You'll be like a PDF wizard when you use redaction, yeah. word export, page numbering, and even Bates numbering. Christina, do you know what Bates numbering is? That sounds like some science fiction stuff. What is Bates numbering? I have no clue, but it, but I it have sounds no clue either. That sounds very, it sounds worth the price of PDF. Sounds so. businessy. All it I have to like say is for, for me, the fact that I don't have to have Acrobat installed, like I, I, I'm an Adobe Creative oh. Cloud subscriber and, yep. and, and, and I, so I have Photoshop and, and, you know, InDesign and some other apps like installed, but the fact that I don't have to have Acrobat, which is such a huge bloat. Acrobat cog, is the worst. It is the worst. Sorry, and PDF yeah. Pen is so great. It does everything Acrobat does, but it's, 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 it's slimmer. It's, it's a native Mac app. It's, it's fantastic. I think if I met the Adobe Acrobat team at like a function, I think that would be an awkward conversation. You know? <laughs> what do you do? I work on the Acrobat team. Punch. Oh, oh. we've got oh, a lot okay. to talk about. What's, what's going on there? What's happening in your, your second support? What's, what's going on? So, so you don't have to, you can learn to use PDF pen uh, because Smile has great uh, tutorials from uh, my friend, uh, David Sparks, AKA Max Sparky. And they're really short videos. They'll teach you everything you need to know. I can tell you, uh, my husband went through, watched some of these, and this is the main thing he uses uh, at his job. So uh, PDF Pen 7 works, uh, it works on uh, OS 10, 10.10 uh, and above. So basically Yosemite, anything above, and it will be absolutely beautiful. So thank you, PDF Pen and Smile, for supporting Rocket. And we love you, and we love your program. All right. So uh, your second story today, this is this is something I first saw in um, Mashable this week, Christina, mm -hmm. where it was talking about Twitter really kind of desperately needs a win right now. So, you know, a lot of things uh, have been happening uh, with Twitter in the last few years. You know, obviously for me, <laughs> the, the story of harassment on the platform is kind of a yeah. big deal. You had uh, Ann Wheaton uh, quit a few weeks ago. Um, over on kind of maybe the the pro harasser side of the fence, you have um, you know Milo, um, who's kind of a, a very famous yep. right wing. Uh, I guess you would call him an agent provocateur, probably. Mm -hmm. um, has kind of been uh, he was deverified. It caused a lot of um, strife and stress, and like he's claiming there are a lot of conservatives that feel that um, you know, their ideas are being censored on the platform. <laughs> you kind of have, right, <laughs> you have... Um, God bless you Milo, know, you have, yeah. I, I know, I know, it's very... <laughs> we can talk about that. Uh, you know, you have some of the, the things like Twitter moments, even though it's a feature I really like. Um, it's something that's really been uh, critiqued quite a bit. Um, and, you know, you keep, like, looking at their list of executives every day and a bunch of people are leaving. It seems like the project teams are going all kinds of different directions. And Mashable wrote uh, a piece that I didn't completely agree with, but I thought was 
fair to be concerned about, kind of talking about, does Twitter have a future? You know, investors are expressing a lot of worry. Yeah, they are. I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, Twitter is very hard to use. And, um, you know, is is Twitter in trouble right now? Um, So I guess that would be my my straight up question for you, Christina. Uh, Yes, they are definitely in trouble right now. They're absolutely Mm -hmm. in trouble right now. Their stock is trading below IPO. Uh, it is trading lower than it's, I mean, it's, it's maybe up slightly, you know, today than it was maybe compared to like, like yesterday or earlier this week, but it, it's, their, their stock is dragging. They had a mass exodus of, um, executive talent leave. Um, you know, whether they were, those people were forced out or they left voluntarily or who knows, it doesn't matter. It matters that like you, your head of product is leaving and then they're saying there are no plans to replace him and Jack's just going to do it. Okay. So Jack is running a square. He's running Twitter. Now he's also going to run Twitter product. Like, (laughs) Okay, that doesn't really strike me as having a lot of confidence. Um, the, the the product itself, I think, is in flux. You know, Wall Street, for, I, I think, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, unfair expectations on Apple. I think Twitter is one of those companies that if they'd really had it their way, I don't think they would have gone public. They were forced to go public because of um, investor rules, because of the amount of investors they had and the amount of capital they'd raised. They had to file for an IPO. And and so the rules have actually changed since they went public, and, and they may, might have had more time off. But I, I think that they, as a company, that wasn't something they really wanted to do. And and you know, as we've discussed on the show before, Twitter, I love it and, and, and I get a lot out of it. Um, you know, putting some of the, the, the harassment thing that, that is a very real part of it aside, you know, like I, I get a ton out of Twitter. I think all of us on this show, you know, use it in, in different ways. And definitely, you know, Micah and I, as, as reporters, you know, there, there's, there's value to it that, that there just isn't in other platforms. Mm-hmm. But explaining it to regular people is very convoluted. They've never had a good onboarding process. And it, it's getting worse. That's the problem. The product is actually getting worse over time. And, and I think that um, there's not a really clear distinction of what Twitter wants to be. You know, they have this moments product, which is kind of like Snapchat Discover. And when it works, it works great. Like today, Kanye West went on um, one of his Twitter rants, and it was <laughs> it was so beautiful. It was it's so, so beautiful. beautiful, and I mean, it's one of the greatest things oh. ever. And 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 it's what Twitter is built for. I'm actually writing a piece that they'll go up tonight about how like Kanye West, you know, like uh, Twitter rant, like meltdown is proof of this is what you can only do on Twitter. But but putting those kind of moments aside, it's hard for I think for a lot of people to kind of understand the bigger value of Twitter. And and, and since so many people are leaving the company, which is in flux. They had, you know, they probably had too many employees anyway. They've already done layoffs. There doesn't seem to be clear product direction. And then the stock just keeps getting lower and lower and investors are scared. They're not turning around the advertising numbers that they said that they would. They keep changing the metrics that they count that they, they claim are, are, are useful. First, they said it was going to be monthly active users. Then it was going to be mobile users. Then it was going to be, okay, well, it's not just users, but it's anybody who's logged in. Oh, well, now we're going to change it to, to another kind of, um, you know, uh, metric that, that will make us look better. The, the point is they're, 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 not, they're not growing. The user, users are, are actually kind of falling. And then you look at a company like Facebook, who Twitter was ahead of on mobile, just a few years ago, Twitter had, you know, a stronger mobile ad team was was stronger kind of on, on the mobile first front. Facebook is now basically a mobile company. They announced great earnings today. 80% of their of their revenues are coming from mobile. Uh, they've got a billion, almost a billion active um, mobile users, daily active users, which is insane. Um, 90% of their daily and monthly active users are on mobile, which is just crazy. And, um, and Twitter is just not able to, to, to follow up on that. So you said, yeah, are they in trouble? I definitely think they're in trouble. I mean, it's, it, for me, if I'm being honest, I, I think that 
I'm just kind of waiting for the shoe to drop who's going to acquire them. And I think it's, it'll probably be Google. I hope it'll be Google. Um, but, but I don't know how much longer they're going to be able to last as kind of doing what they're doing because they're, they're flailing and there doesn't seem to be a lot of direction going on. And, and the product, the, the worst part is the product just keeps, keeps getting worse. And the onboarding process, which is how you bring people into the platform, hasn't gotten any better. And they've been struggling with that for years. And, but, but like if you were to sign up for a Twitter account today and try to get started, the process is so convoluted and so ridiculous. It's I don't terrible. even know what you would do. And, and, and yeah. so how are you going to grow that user base? I agree. I, I mean, frankly, so I've had I've had to set up a few accounts for different things recently uh, with with new shows and, and other stuff. <laughs> and doing that as someone who actually knows how these things work, like I first signed up for Twitter way back, I think it was like 2007 or 2008. And back then, it was so much simpler to do that than it yep. is now. And so I don't know, I just... There, there have been lots of tweets. Every time something new comes out on Twitter, um, the the same kind of tweets go out each time where it's, you know, a, a conversation between t- Twitter and the users who care about the platform. And it's always like, you know, Twitter says, hey, we want to make this better for you. And then Twitter users say, okay, you should do this. And then Twitter does the exact opposite or just doesn't consider at all what Twitter users actually want. They're always doing things that they think that new people will want, but it turns out new people don't even want those things and it is just bizarre and you know i'm fighting another war in things where um where i work uh, as as a journalist we have put so much attention on facebook and the way mm-hmm. that that facebook performs and the way that video does on facebook and facebook 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 and me personally that that hurts my soul because i care so much about twitter but when you look at it it makes sense it makes me so sad to say that but it does it makes sense because facebook is a platform that knows what the heck it's doing and it's doing a doggone good job in video which is frankly where news and and media is is going and so i i understand why we're putting so much attention and so much focus on facebook because the reach there is so much greater yada 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 blah 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 but you know i i just i care so much about twitter and it just is it's sad that to get the best experience from the platform you have to go outside of the walled garden to make that happen you know the, the twitter app itself is not made for people who care about twitter it's made for people who who are trying you know trying it out for for uh, fresh or, or I I don't know if I agree with that because okay. I think the the Twitter app itself I've talked to a lot of people about this because like if you don't use Tweetbot or TweetDeck or something you get kind of judged by it and you know <laughs> the, they actually don't give um uh, people they actually don't give those apps access to like uh, displaying when you get you know, retweets or favorites yep. by somebody, which I consider really necessary feedback. Same. Like that, if that, I, that, if I tweet something, yep. exactly. If, if I tweet something and I don't have any feedback of are people really liking this, then it doesn't help me do it. I, I have a lot to say about this because, um, you know, uh, I, I pitched a, a piece to Verge this week that uh, it looks like it's going to go through because we keep very careful metrics at Giant Space Cat of, 
our, our harassment reports. And, you know, we work with everybody. We work with Reddit. We work with Facebook. Um, I guess we haven't had to deal with Instagram yet. But, um, you know, so I have a lot to say about this issue. Um, I think Twitter is a really, really interesting product because, like, you know, Micah, you're talking about Facebook video has a lot of, um, you know, like commercial value for your company, right? Like, it's easy to put content on there. And I see the Mary Sue doing it. That is a product that's kind of um, designed for, you know, respectable outfits, right? Um, what I think is so magical and wonderful about Twitter is it is, you know, for the stuff I really care about, you know, for my work in feminism, and to a certain extent talking about with other developers, um, Twitter is this kind of messy product that is extremely, extremely important, even if like this unpleasantness is kind of baked into the product. Right. I mean, you know, something I think is so interesting is, you know, I have never been connected to more voices and more women doing work in the, the areas that I care about, like in tech feminism. It's something that just meeting random people and, and, and becoming friends with them is not like Facebook's you know, model of connecting people just wouldn't work for that. Neither would uh, you know, most places. So Twitter is, you know, Twitter is something that let people like, you know, lead to a change of government in Egypt. You know, you see it here with Edward Snowden, I think, um, you know, for, for Ferguson. I think this is the, the perfect American example of what Twitter excels at. I remember in, when, when Ferguson first started happening, I would go every single night and I would just go on Twitter and watch what was happening. Yeah. And you would go on CNN and try to figure out what the frack was happening. And it was just crap. It was CNN's reporting on it was utter garbage. And you would hear from people on the ground. And I really think if you look at like Black Lives Matter, that entire movement getting momentum, Twitter is a key part of that. But the thing that makes it strong is the exact same reason Ann Whedon quits Twitter because it's also its biggest weakness. And that's not a product that its DNA is not going to be able to give you a curated, pleasant experience the way that Instagram is. So, right. you know, I, I have a lot of conversations with Twitter and their team about this stuff. And I do appreciate that it's a very, very difficult problem to solve. Um, I, I guess I would say this, Christine, like if you had to put on your list of like top four problems that Twitter has, like what do you think is the biggest, like what what do you think their biggest priorities are? Because I think the harassment issue is probably number two or number three. Um, and I think yeah. the onboarding process is is number one. Would yes. you agree with that? Would I, you not agree? No, yeah. I would agree with that for sure. I think onboarding is absolutely number one. I mean, the harassment thing is, is a real problem and, and I don't want to discount that. And I, especially like knowing people who go through it, I, I, I think I'd probably put it, you know, if we're talking top four problems. It's definitely an issue. I would, yeah. I would put along with harassment though, I would put, it's part of this bigger push pull thing that Twitter has where Twitter for a long time was like they claimed that they were like on the free speech side of the free speech party. And they were very <laughs> much, I mean, they, they were on record of saying that we are not going to censor things. In fact, when we get requests to take things down, we submit what those things are. And they've since, because of, of the harassment angle, because people have used it the way that they haven't wanted them to, they've had to step back from that. And they're kind of having this weird, I think, internal crisis where internally they're not really sure how they can reconcile being a platform where you can say whatever you want and then 
not being a toxic place where people don't want to go. So can, it, can I know. say this, though? And I hope I'm not betraying anything at Twitter by saying this. So I'll just say this very generally. I was very concerned when when Jack Dorsey came back to Twitter because we looked at our batting average because we do keep statistics on this at Giants Face Cap. And at first, our um, Twitter's response rates to you know, very serious harassment things just plummeted. You know, I'm talking death right. threats, I remember, I remember doxing, you us this. my social security number being out there. It, it really plummeted. It has since gone back up. And I, I can say from my talks behind the scenes, I think I'm someone with a lot of credibility on this subject. And I am telling you, as someone that is harassed daily on there, I truly believe Twitter is taking this problem seriously. Yeah. I think they have an internal plan. I think the people that they have put in place on this issue are some of the most skilled people in the entire world. Um, So I, it's such a hard problem to solve, right? Right. You know, and I, and I don't know how, I don't know how you solve it. I don't know how you solve it. You can't solve it perfectly, which is why it frustrates me when, you know, I'm not going to give names, but sometimes I see, I see people that I consider friends that I dearly respect but they're not engineers. And I see them talking about Twitter's problems with harassment as if it's just flicking a switch. And I just want to like go, right. hey, that's a very, very Western American centric viewpoint. And you're not thinking about how this like Twitter is a global product. So a lot of the things that, you know, some Western feminists assume must be done would wreck that in other countries. But it's a it's a very, very big problem. I don't agree with milo when he says he feels conservatives are being censored because like i've never heard of ann coulter being kicked off twitter like it just seems to be him but i think it's important that the public perception perception of twitter is that you can have any kind of opinion and and voice it on that that service like being a men's rights activist I want them to have their say on Absolutely. Twitter, you know? Absolutely. It's, no, so. dead on. And, and But that does become like the very like that that becomes the weird line that they have to cross because you're right. They do take it seriously and they don't want people to not have an enjoyable experience on their platform. But they are kind of in, in this weird place where I think how Twitter started and what it was going to be and what it is now are very different things. And Absolutely. the company hasn't really evolved that way. Whereas Facebook, to their credit, I think one of the reasons they've done so much better is that even though they were kind of slow to the mobile catch-up and, and, and Zuckerberg was all about HTML5, remember that, and then realized <laughs> it kind of killed the app oh. performance. And they were, he was like, oh, I, we messed up. You know, now Facebook is, is firmly a mobile company because and, 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 they saw which way, which way it was up. I don't think Twitter necessarily saw how to grow their platform the way that they could have. You know, they right. they had a lot of opportunities and some ad opportunities and some engagement things, and they just didn't really take off with it. I would say, honestly, I think one of the biggest mistakes they ever made um, would be their war on developers. When they started cutting mm-hmm. off access to their APIs, and, and not just their APIs, and I'm not just talking about third-party Twitter clients, although that was certainly part of it. When they started restricting access to things because they wanted to control the experience. You can understand from one perspective, we want to control the, the, the narrative. We want to have how people do things. We want our experience to, to supersede others. I can I can respect that. But when they started you know, limiting what access people could do to build apps, that limited a lot of innovation on Twitter. A lot of innovation had happened historically on Twitter. You know, the, the, the retweet, at mentions, so many things happened 
um, hashtags, you know, we're, we're, we're user and developer built, not things that Twitter itself actually um, created. And, and I think one of the big problems what they did, and this was actually goes back to, to Instagram, when they cut off API access to Instagram, when you used to be able to find um, Instagram friends by, by connecting your Twitter account. And when Instagram, uh, when Twitter pulled access to that, so you could, when you would sign up for Instagram, you could no longer pull in your your uh, your social feed, your social graph. And they did this to other services too. They pulled it away from Facebook. They were basically trying to say, our social graph is superior to yours and we are not going to let anyone else use it. In much respect, that's been a huge problem because now what's happened is that no one else will let Twitter use their social graph. So how do you sign up for Twitter now? How do you find people to follow? Well, you could give them access to your address book and like look through there and be like, oh, this person in my address book is now on Twitter. I can follow them. Fine. Not everybody's going to want to do that. In the old days, you could connect it to Facebook and find your Facebook friends. You can't mm-hmm. do that now. But how great would it be now? Because there are way more Instagram users than there are Twitter users, and Instagram users are way more active than Twitter users. If you're signing up for Twitter now, you might want to find Instagram accounts. You know, the people who you follow on Instagram, you might want to find their Twitter. You can't do that. And I think that when they kind of entrenched themselves, and a lot of this was under Jack, frankly, you know, when they kind of said, we're going to, and but it was under Dick Costello too, so I'm not, I'm not going to blame this all on Jack, but when they kind of said, we are going to take the best part of our ecosystem, which was our developer relations, and we're going to take our openness, and we're going to shut down and become more insular, I think they kind of, you know, screwed the pooch. And, and I don't know how you get back to that because – it's a real problem because the world has moved on and now no one even cares about extending Twitter. And yet, you know, a number of years ago, one of the reasons that the platform was so exciting was because you could build all these things on top of it. And, you know, if, if you're not going to be able to bring users in to, to look at what Amber Rose is saying to Kanye West, and you should all look that up because it's amazing. Like I, you can't, but you can't count on that every day, you know? Right. So how do you bring people in? What are the experiences you can create um, you know, Facebook has been really smart with its messaging strategy. When they broke that apart and made it its own app, it got a lot of user complaints, but it's actually been really smart and it's created a secondary platform they can now build and they can build a lot of partnerships and involved with that. Twitter now, because they've messed things up with developers so badly, you know, even with them making um, overtures again to developers to try to get them to take Twitter seriously, I don't know how many people would actually actively at this point want to bet on Twitter building something that would use them as a back end. I mean, we see what they did to Meerkat just a year ago mm-hmm. um, with Periscope a competing products. So it's like they, you know, it. I, I, pardon me, I, I, almost, I almost kind of feel like, well, you did this to yourself. You had a real position of strength and you had people who were actively working for you for free, working to extend your platforms, working to take your social graph and make it valuable other places. And you said, no, we don't want that. And well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, we're, we keep going back to this point, uh, well, well, two points, frankly. And one is the fact that uh, that it's hard for, for new people to get onto the platform. And Facebook did a good job of this. And Twitter is not doing a good job of this. And uh, Brie, to go back to your original question, uh, my, my four things that I think that Twitter needs to focus on is, you know, as starting right at the top is bringing in New York users is the onboarding process. But B is the one that seems to struggle that they seem to struggle with the most. And that's figuring out how to make money without 
upsetting people. I'll say that instead yeah. of what I wanted to say. Uh, and then next is figuring out what the heck they are. There are all these changes that are being made that don't really fall in line with what a lot of the users that I follow and also people who I don't follow who, who you know, are posting things on the internet at different places and, and complaining about what they want Twitter to be. And last uh, of the top four is harassment. Because when, when Dorsey is saying and, you know, Twitter is saying that they want to make this change, then yes, this is something that has to happen and whenever we see so many people getting harassed on this platform it 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 absolutely makes sense and you know i, I want to go back to what we were talking about before i my main twitter client is the twitter client and if i could choose for it not to be i would that's the thing is that Ooh. even as a twitter power user uh, I, I use that platform as my main one because yes, I can go into the notifications tab and I can see not just, you know, someone has favorited and someone has retweeted, but also someone has favorited a week, a retweet that I sent or right. someone has retweeted a fate. You know what I mean? The, you can see all of the things that you can't see elsewhere. And that clamping down has resulted in me not being able to use a platform that I might like more in terms of maybe the visual, um, or the way that the notifications come through, et cetera, et cetera. And so I feel feel like as as a Twitter power user who's been on the platform for a long time, I'm having to make concessions on Twitter's behalf because they have a certain way that they want to do things. And that just doesn't seem right. Whenever at one point, the company was, as you said, Christina, so open and and available for all of these, these opportunities to build upon the platform. What happened to that Twitter? And yes, they're trying to bring it back. And we had politoops that's, you know, back in the game, and they're getting to show and politicians delete their tweets but hey that took forever and yeah. kind of the the sail you know what i mean the ship has sailed and we're seeing yep. this very clearly and uh, i you know stratechery just published the article about how Facebook has squashed Twitter. Squashed. That is past mm. tense. That means yep. it's happened. It has. And, you know, so we're seeing a lot of these hot takes. And frankly, you know, still in my heart, I'm going, Twitter, I love you so much more. And every Same. time one of my my uh, superiors is talking about how Facebook is where we need to be focusing and all that kind of stuff, there's one of those emoji that has the eyes rolling almost all the way back in its head that's, that's just beating inside of my heart. But <laughs> frankly, like when you look at the statistics you you, you kind of have to look past the rolling eye emoji and instead just have the like eyes looking to the left that's like oh i hate this but it's it's what it is so i i don't know i think twitter has a lot to work on but is it too late i don't know i i think i think it's really well said i i think the the core thing with facebook is i remember because i was you know i i went back to college i was in college when uh, facebook first came to fruition i was in the second batch of colleges it ever came from and from the beginning it was you could see them moving towards being an ad network right like they had their their money monetization strategy baked into the product from the beginning for Twitter, it follows this, this pattern that I see so often in the tech industry. I see it in the game industry, too, where you have people that, um, you know, the kind of people that become entrepreneurs and are really passionate about solving problems, you aren't really motivated by, by making a lot of money, right? Like, you're passionate about solving the problem. Well, making money from a service isn't just a spigot that you can go magically turn on. Like there's not some <laughs> valve at, at Twitter where they go, okay, we're going to make money now. So I look at the way that Twitter is trying to make money. And yes, there are some ads that show up in my Twitter feed for A, a B, and C, particularly for um, games in mine. 
And I can see that. That makes sense. For GSX, we've played around with uh, you know, selling ads for Rev60 and Twitter. Sure. It's been a reasonably good experience. But it's just, it because Twitter is so focused on having these quick bursts of information, every single ad along the way is just, it's, it's very intrusive. And you, know, you see them trying to get people to tie credit cards to their accounts and then yeah. like push this one just, button and something uh, magically happens and it doesn't it's terrible Domino's pizza well <laughs> right. right well i mean so, right. right who who wants to get, i was talking about that with with uh, i was on cbs earlier t- today talking sure. about facebook earnings and we were talking about twitter and they said oh, well you know what about twitter trying to get people to buy stuff through them i was like yeah but who's going to give their credit card to twitter Right. I mean, that's, genuinely. That's the problem. Like, like yeah. Facebook, Facebook, I could almost be there because they had payments, you know, for, for, for games and, and app purchases. You know, they already had like kind of a way where you could link your PayPal or whatever. You could almost make that argument. They'd already had kind of the, the, the conversation with, I think, users years beforehand when Facebook games were a thing. But with Twitter, no, I'm not going to give my credit card to my Twitter app. Are you kidding me? I, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, it's. It, it's how do you build that into the service? It, it's just about impossible at this point. So I, I think that it is time for maybe Twitter to kind of look at some of the alternative things. I know that this is something Randy Harper and I desperately disagree on, but a, a, um, a, a proposal I've seen that kind of solves the harassment problem and the, and the monetization problem at the same time is like letting people pay a fee to get verified on Twitter, which to mm. me makes a lot of sense. I know, I know it's washy, but you know, if you did that, you would have like known entities. I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess I think that sort of makes sense if you want to use it as a, as an identity platform. But I think that I wonder how much overhead that then puts on Twitter to have to manage those things. And, and, it, and if they, if they actually have the resources to do that effectively and I, and, and I, and, and if that would be worth it, the amount of people who would pay, if the revenue would make sense, because my fear with that would be, you would have this influx of people who would pay a fee to be verified. Now you've got to have um, a, a set supportive staff, staff 24 seven other locations to be managing these things and making sure that these people are not going to do things to make them become de-verified or whatever. Um, because otherwise this would be kind of an open endorsement for, for spam in addition to harassment. Right. Um, would I, I would, I understand where you're coming from. I would think from a pure business play that there would be no way that the revenue they would get from having people become verified and used as an identity play to make up for the amount of money they would have to spend simply on human resources. Sure. I, I'm, I'm not saying I think this particular proposal is an answer. I'm saying that kind of in addition to ads, looking at other ways to monetize the service to, you know, give power users the ability to get a message out. It just, sure. it just seems to me that they need to, they need to have their financial situation like well in hand. And I, I very strongly agree with what you said at the very beginning, Christina, that I think, um, you know, an acquisition by somebody like Google, um, yeah. who would be ideal. I think that is inevitable. So, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think that's in game. I think at this point, yeah. you know, Google didn't want to spend 30 billion on them. And, and I think they felt like they were overvalued. I think at this point with the stock continuing to get lower, Google does not have a, a great social strategy as we discussed. Nope. Um, nope. They already have a good data deal 
deal with Google. That was one of the one good things that happened in 2015 was that they signed this this data agreement where you know Google will surface tweets, and that's actually very useful for for Google as a search result too because you can get real time tweets when you search for something. I actually use that quite often, and sometimes it's better than, than Twitter's own search. Frankly, it's weird. Um, so you have this this data arrangement, which would be great. Um, Twitter itself. Um, you know, Google already has a very good ad business with DoubleClick and, and they already have good things with targeting that way. They could take over that side of it, you know, and, they, and, and Twitter wouldn't have to worry as much about pure profitability because if this becomes a data play, then this is part of, you know, more of kind of the, you know, big compute power stuff that Google is building rather than, than, than a, a standalone product that has to make money on its own. So today in New York, uh, there was a, a, a company that had been going under the code name Project Decibel. It's now known as Starry, um, Starry Internet. Um, it's from the team behind Aereo. Now, Aereo was the over-the-air uh, uh, broadcast TV service where you would pay like $10 a month and you would get online access to broadcast TV stations um, and a couple of cable networks. The Bloomberg was the big one. Um, they went out of business after they took their fight all the way to the Supreme Court and lost. Um, and, and the Supreme Court said, you are actually in violation of retransmission. Um, laws and regulations and um, it was sad when that service uh, bit bit um, the dust but the the team behind them have come back with this project called Starry and they're trying to do two things one is they're trying to disrupt wireless internet as a whole so their goal is to use this like a uh, uh, microwave or micro nano technology stuff to basically deliver wireless gigabit um, internet. So the idea would be that basically using the, the, the these different like wavelengths um, that they're um, uh, these the higher spectrums. Uh, so they're like in the, the 20 and 30 gigahertz band areas. They're going to be able to deliver super high um, bandwidth um, to, to people wirelessly. So the idea would be you could pay like $25 a month. They didn't give a price, but that seems to be about what a, what, what what they're kind of aiming at, you know, and get super fast internet without data caps, without limitations in your home. Um, they'll be beta testing that in Boston this summer. So Bree, you might be able to test it out and, and see how it works. Jealous. So that's cool. I don't, I really don't understand how the technology works. It's, 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 uh, a bunch of buzzwords and it's fancy with schmancy internet talk. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, if if it can work the way they claim it will, that's interesting. But even they kind of admit admitted that it's kind of like witchcraft. I'm not sure how well it'll scale, how well it will work, but it's interesting. Uh, but then on the second half of that, but they're actually having a product that's actually going to go ahead and start shipping in March. They have a product called the Starry Station, and it's it's a hub. It's a, it's basically a, a really powerful router. Um, it will work with the internet service. So if you subscribe to their internet service, Starry Internet, you'll get this hub. But you can also buy this hub if you're just a regular person. So it's it's three hundred fifty dollars. It's not cheap, but it's um, a really well designed router. It kind of looks like a triangle kind of a, a, a spherical, like a 3D cube, kind of of sorts, kind of like a an isosceles triangle. And it um, is um, has a 3.8-inch touchscreen. It's Android-based. And it makes it really easy to kind of control all the things happening in, in with your internet. So it has mm-hmm. like a built-in speed um, monitor, which is really cool. So it has like a built-in speed test where it's monitoring your speed at all times. You can do run a speed test directly from the device. It'll track your speed over time so you can see a graph and see, hey, you know, the internet that I'm paying for, you know, files are claiming that you're going to be this speed, but during this time of the day, I'm getting slowdowns. That'll, it'll graph that. It also has a way where you can see how many devices are connected at once. Tap on those devices, kind of drill in and figure out, hey, this signal is kind of weak right here. 
so maybe this is why the Roku or the Apple TV isn't performing well. Maybe I need to move something. Maybe I need to restart something, check something else out. Um, you can see kind of what sort of data, like, hey, somebody's really using the hell out of the internet on this iPad. You know, stop, stop doing what you're doing. Um, you're, you're taking out the whole network. It has a built-in parental control, something called they're calling screen time, which will basically let you limit internet access to various devices which um i think is kind of cool if i were a kid though i would be the kid who would totally weaponize that against my parents oh i'd figure out how to make the, yeah exactly. oh me so, totally I, that was that was me as a kid that's why my parents didn't even bother like trying to to prevent me from using stuff like that because they knew better my my dad once like told me that they, they put me on computer restriction and i put a I put a password on the computer. I put a password on the, on, on, on the, on the, on the family computer. And uh, yeah, um, oh, there was dear. a big fight and uh, I won. I was a brat. Um, so proud of you, Christina. Yeah, this is a, this is a proud moment. I'm it crying wasn't. a little bit. A tear. Um, so, a so, tear yeah. for Christina Warren. <laughs> right. So um, no, it's, but, but it's, you know, it's, it's Android based. They're hoping to have kind of app stuff built in. They're even, they were even talking about doing things like maybe having like ad blocking or like malware protection kind of mm -hmm. built in at the router level. Um, it's interesting, right? So it's, it's a, a super starry, S-T-A-R-R-Y.com. You can pre-order it. Um, it'll be on Amazon's Launchpad um, service and then shipping in March. Um, I, I mean, I'm interested in it because I, I was always really impressed with what Aereo did and I really liked them and I was rooting for them. Um, it's a shame that it ended the way it did, but right. I, I, I don't know about you guys. Um, I, I can't really speak too much about how the tech, the internet service works, but what did you guys think of the router and what do you think of the price? Cause Micah, I know that you were saying that for you, you would want to be a nerd about it and be able to make sure you could get into the advanced DNS settings and, yeah. and, and, and yeah. change stuff up. But like for your mom or your boyfriend, they might really appreciate a simple, easy to use router that you just touch. Exactly. So I, really quickly, I mean, one of the things about the website that may not be as great about a, an actual presentation is that the website, of course, uh, uh, tries to make it available and understandable for the layman. And I mean, frankly, as far as the internet goes, um, it's kind of like... From what they're ex from what they're describing, of course they use a few buzzwords, but you've got these almost like mini cell towers that are yeah. beaming out signal, and then each house has uh, what's called a a point, and so these points can get the information from the cell the mini cell towers, and then that goes into your house and connects to the router. So it's got internet that can be almost as fast as as Google Fiber, which is something right. I also don't have where I live, which makes me cry. Uh, so if if Starry could come here with their uh, gigabit internet, then I would be very happy about that. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, the, I think the promise of this is great. I don't know how well it'll work exactly. from a feasibility standpoint, but I think the idea that you would have a decoupled, um, you know, uh, nationwide broad wireless broadband provider that is not at these 1.5 megabytes per second speeds, which is what they were saying <laughs> one that they are in Vegas, who has like, who offers as an offering. There's one in Salt Lake City, which is like 768 kilobits per second. Oh, my there are a Lord. lot of Wi-Fi you know, internet companies who are terrible, right? And so if you've got something that is, you're talking about faster than broadband, you're talking about gigabit speeds and it's wireless and you're talking about having, not having data caps, you're not talking about having any, you know, issues with, with um, you know, uh, restricting contact. Things. Exactly. That's really compelling. And yeah. because, you know, fiber, A, like you said, a lot of people can't get it. You know, um, I'm, I'm 
the, the people across the street from me can have Fios, my building does not get See, it. See, that's how it works. It's the same right. thing here. There are people who have Fios in my in the town where I live, and it's the same thing. I one of my bosses has talked many times about how the people across the street get Fios, but but he doesn't. And you know, this this seems to be a step in the right direction in terms of solving this thing. But I mean, to talk about the station, that's what they're calling the router. It's yeah, it's $350 and that's expensive. But what you're trading is maybe not like five phone calls a month where your your relative is asking you how to fix the router, which usually is just unplug and plug it back in. Yeah. But it's it's interesting. And the fact that I can look and see these little bubbles that then, you know, there's one red bubble and I know that that's the thing that's messing up and I can keep track of what's uh, got the best signal, what's got the worst. And then you can find out that, oh, well, my Xbox One is taking up the most signal at this period of time or you know i'm supposed to be paying for uh 10 down but i'm only getting five down and oh what's my network password or you know a guest comes in what's my network password well just go tap on the little thing over there and then it'll tell you yeah so yeah. all those things are really compelling and they're going to be um introducing some things they call the starry wing which are extenders right it's uh, like an airport and, express yeah and super easy to use wi-fi extenders would be awesome because that's the one thing that's difficult even with like today's routers is that the extenders can sometimes Sometimes not work well or totally. if they do then you're connecting to like a secondary uh wi-fi setup and yep. so I, I get this and and maybe you know the premium that you're paying is for technology that actually does work but until i've got christina warren writing up an article on mashable after mm -hmm. she's reviewed the product i don't know you know i can't say for sure whether or not i just i like the idea of it and i really like the idea of this internet that that's exactly how i feel it's uh you know i've lived all over the united states i've lived in dc i've lived in mississippi i've lived in colorado I've lived in San Francisco, lived in Boston, lived everywhere. And I've never had internet that was as fast as what I was paying for. And I always try to get the fastest one possible. So if they can disrupt the space, I, I, I couldn't be more for it. Uh, totally. You know, I'll believe it once I see it. Because you know? <laughs> exactly. That's how I'm with yeah, it. We've, we've been I... around the field a bit. And I'm, I'm used to hearing very grandiose promises. As far as the uh, 350 for a router, I will pay for a quality product, period. And, yeah. you know, yeah. like this is this is one of these things is so key to your life that mm -hmm. if it works and sufficient, I'm all in. But let me see the product first. And yeah. I airport think that's Extreme a good place to leave it No, today. it's not. Yeah. But this is and like twice the that. price of an Airport Extreme. I pay for yep. that too. My, my only real criticism of the router from having to look at it is that it looked like it had like basically like if you have a, a – decent sized um ethernet setup at all at home you would need to have mm -hmm. a switch for sure so this yeah. is one of those things where it only has like well it has you know obviously ethernet in you know for, from your cable connection or whatever or fios or whatever and then it has one ethernet gigabit i guess port in the back of it so it's only got one only one other thing can plug into that so this is really a wireless router and that's fine you know it's 802.11 ac it's also 802.11 or 802.15, which is kind of going to be like the Internet of Things standard. I mean, that's fine for, I think, most people who just have Wi-Fi setups. Um, for us, you know, we have a NAS. We've got a bunch of things that are hardwired in. We would still need to have a switch connected someplace, which kind of ruins the aesthetic of the whole thing. So, the router yeah. seems totally for the layperson. And this yeah. is, you know, the, the Internet service, on the other hand, that's something that I'm super yes. interested oh, in. And I, I just like the idea. Because, again, I have to go back to it, you know, and this is... This is, this is just a uh, an anecdote to kind of make the comparison here. But like, I remember one time I, so I use Final Cut Pro 10 every day of my life. That's what I do for my job. Well, part of my job is, is video production. And I've opened up iMovie in the past. 
And I, God's honest truth, I do not know how to use that program because it's so simple. They, they oversimplify it to a point that, you know, I'm not even trying to be sarcastic or anything. I really can't use it. I click into it. I'm like, what the heck do I do? And, and I think the same applies to things like this, where it's oversimplified to a point that it makes sense for the layperson. but I would be worried that I couldn't get in and make the adjustments that I want to. So yeah, $350 seems like a rather expensive price for something that might not be, you know, I'd love to know that okay you know they've got the the power user mode where i can go in and make the adjustments that i want to but you can flip on the uh the parent switch that's for the the parents who might not understand uh the the deeper side of the product awesome i think that's well said we're gonna leave it there uh christina what are you up to this week so yeah, so I'm currently working on a hot take about how Kanye West is the best thing that happened to Twitter, and like yes. if Twitter wants to save itself, we need more Kanye West moments. And and honestly, what it kind of is is it's it's a acknowledgement that Twitter is at its best. Like what Kanye West is the use case for why Twitter matters. Yeah, um, I agree. And with so that. as to it, because his sorts of freakouts they they can only happen on Twitter. Um, the, the the sorts of you know kind of feedback the the, the viral nature of, of everything the memes it can't happen on Facebook it can't happen on Snapchat it, it happens on Twitter and and is kind of a unique to Twitter thing so I'm, I'm working on an article about that and uh, that's basically that's that's kind of all I've got on my plate right now. Oh man, Sweet. I have uh, I have three articles that are due next week, uh, two of which I can't talk about yet. But uh, we've got some big investigative work that's uh, going to be finally coming out of GSX. I'm really excited about that. Um, we're also um, I have a piece for Polygon uh, that I'm working on next week, and um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting piece because you know I, along with a lot of other women, are um, flustered with the current environment for for virtual reality and specifically the investor um the efforts for women to basically get um money you know to to build vr ventures uh so i've interviewed a bunch of women working in the field i have to tell you christina do you know cindy gallup i do not oh my god okay like i met her in ireland and i knew she was like awesome like she's a super successful ad executive woman and she's working on a startup right now uh called uh make love not porn and basically it's making porn for the female gaze um including uh some vr stuff and i did an interview with her that's easily the most filthy awesome interview i've ever done in my life and i have no idea how much of it polygon is going to let me run and i can't even tell you some of the phrases i learned from this because it was that <laughs> it was that i i'm sitting there and i'm like oh my god i wonder what she's like after like two drinks she must be like the most awesome woman on the entire planet but uh just really really fascinating stuff i um i um it's i almost want to invite her on the show just to do a whole topic on that so it's really interesting so that's me what about you micah what are you working on uh stay posted to the incomparable where christina warren and i do a podcast called cartoon cast uh we have an exciting episode coming up and we're not going to say any more than that but we're not going to say anything more but it's going to be so good you guys we're so excited special guest and we are thrilled and you can also check me out at newsy where i do tech journalism which is a lot of fun Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening. And uh, this episode of Rocket is terminated. Terminated. Terminated.